0: Thank you for that reading. Uh, personally, I pronounce it Habakkuk, but I am not a Bible scholar, so I have no idea how you pronounce it, but thank you. That was wonderful. Um, get my... Oh, look at that. It even works. Wonderful. Um, how long, O oh Lord? That's how Habakkuk starts his book. If you were here a few weeks ago, you'd have heard uh, Alan speak to us on waiting. And he spoke on three main types of waiting. Waiting on God, waiting for God and being told to wait by God I wasn't here that Sunday and unbeknown to either of us I'd already planned to speak on waiting as well and in my past and present experiences of waiting are all around Alan's Alan's last point of when God tells us to wait those times when you're down on your knees praying those heartfelt gut-wrenching prayers of pleading and the answer comes wait maybe he says gently wait my child it's not ready yet maybe it's a little bit more firm. I've told you to wait. Why did you expect another answer? Or maybe, just maybe, if I can say this without blaspheming, it's the exasperated voice of a parent who's been asked the same question a thousand times. I've told you once, I've told you a million times, just wait, will you, or you're going to hurt yourself. And that's what I hear when I read the book of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is, an old, is a, it's a small book in the Old Testament. It's fifth to last, in fact. He's known as one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament and we don't really know much about him. He's only mentioned by name in his own book. The book of Habakkuk is three short chapters, 56 verses in all. I'd encourage you to read it if you get a chance. Chapters 1 and 2 detail two complaints Habakkuk has of of God uh, and how he's handling a situation that Habakkuk doesn't agree with. Uh, And it also includes responses God makes. Uh, Chapter 3 is a song written by Habakkuk. Uh, It's almost a lament of the situation and his opinion of God's control over it and his timing. Now on the theme of waiting, thankfully when, and I say when, because I'm sure we've all done this, and we don't wait, and we end up doing something we shouldn't have done, God isn't the type of God that says, or the type of Father that says, well I told you so, you get no sympathy from me. <coughs> now thankfully, as Lamentations 3.22 says, uh, his mercies are new every morning. And Corinthians two, or 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, his grace is sufficient for all of us. He's a type of parent who just bends down, scoops us up, holds us close and whispers in our ears, I love you the same yesterday, today and forevermore. So let's just sort this out. So back to God's waiting room. I remember in Sunday school learning about hearing from God and answered prayers. We were taught, and I still believe to this day, that all our prayers are answered. It might be hard to hear, but all our prayers are answered. Just some of them, not in the way we want them to be. I remember seeing God's answer to prayers as traffic lights. Red is no, green is yes, and amber is wait. And how I never, ever long for the amber. I love yeses, I find no's hard, but at least they're definitive. But wait, how annoying are the waits? In today's society, we want everything now. We want next day delivery, or same day, if you shop at Argos, and other stores are available. When we order something and have to wait three to five days for delivery, or even worse, we see not eligible for prime delivery. We find it so frustrating, and even look for the same or similar product somewhere else we can get it quicker, even at a higher price. We have next day delivery and notifications on our phones that rule our lives. Yet the creator of all things, who is everywhere at all times, sometimes doesn't give us what we want, quicker than Amazon, can deliver our unnecessary but really useful items. How dare he? How very dare he? Now, I say that fairly tongue-in-cheek, don't get me wrong, but I'm sure there have been times where you've thought similar. I know I have. Sure, sometimes we don't want to listen to the no. We hear it and we want to ignore it. Sometimes we spurt our requests at him, say amen, and expect our requests to fall in our laps. Sometimes they do, but rarely. But what do we do when the light turns amber and the answer comes, wait? It's even worse than when the self-service checkouts say assistance required and the once speedy self-service now relies on human intervention. It's even worse than waiting for that takeaway to be delivered when you've had a bad week and all you want is junk food. For me, I've been waiting for so many things for a while now. I'm 32, I'm unmarried, no children, I've been trying to buy a house for years i have just completed the purchase of my first house. That's a whole other story. In my mind, especially due to the low ratio of Christian men to women, I expect to be married in my early 20s. I have 2.4 kids, whatever the national average now is. Uh, i would be working in my ideal career and have a house with a spare room, an office, and hosting people as often as I could. But I had to wait for my first girlfriend until I was 20. And even then, if I'm honest, I think God knew I wasn't ready for it. And he gave me, gave me the relationship Just shut me up from asking. (laughs) I'm not sure she'd agree, but anyway. I've been waiting on various non-ideal jobs for the last 14 years while I waited for God. And I got fed up. I got fed up of waiting for my plans to come to fruition. Fed up of waiting for God to answer my prayers the way I wanted. I got fed up with waiting because that's basically all I was doing. Waiting. Sitting on my backside expecting God to do all the work for me. Sure, God is amazing. And of course he can snap his fingers and make anything he wants happen. But that isn't what he promises. So what does he promise? He promises a hope and a future. He promises we'll be clothed and fed like the birds. He promises he will fight for us. He promises eternal life and he promises comfort. I could go on. All you need to do is Google God's promises and you'll find four hundred and ninety million search results. I expect a few are duplicates, but you get the idea. But what doesn't he promise? He doesn't promise a trouble free life. He doesn't promise a life free from physical work. He doesn't promise answers to all our questions. And he doesn't promise wealth and prosperity. And I'm really sorry to say, but nowhere in the Bible does he promise, even by slight inference, that those promises we've just heard will happen where, when, and how we want them to. In fact, it kind of says the opposite, that all things will happen in his timing. In Acts 1 verse 7, it says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So the question we're asking today is, what do we do when we're waiting on his perfect timing for those promises to be fulfilled? When we're in God's waiting room, when the amber light is on, we feel stuck. Now, this might be my first Sunday preaching, but I'm afraid I've broken away from the traditional three-point sermon um, and alliteration. So, just to put it out there. So, the first thing to remember uh, is that God is sovereign. Habakkuk 1 verse 5 says, Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And we'd all agree on that, wouldn't we? God's sovereign, yeah? Do we all know what that means? What does sovereignty mean? I didn't know. I asked Dr. Google. Uh, And Dr. Google told me that sovereign means, as a noun, supreme ruler, especially a monarch. Okay, you get that? We all agree God's king? Yes? Fantastic. The adjective is possessing supreme or ultimate power. Okay, a bit harder to swallow that one, isn't it? If we accept that God is sovereign, then we must accept that he has ultimate power over everything and not just over the things we want to give him power over. So when he says wait, he kind of means it. And if the one who has ultimate power says to wait, you can believe there's a good reason for it. After all, if the Lord doesn't build the house and the laborer builds in vain, what a waste of time that is, eh? The second point is when we're in God's waiting room, let's unpack our bags and boxes and paint the walls. Habakkuk 2 verse 1 says, Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald or whoever reads it may run with it. God has you where you are for a reason. He instructed Habakkuk to write his words in a stone, in stone, a tablet with no undo button. If we stay packed up waiting to move on, waiting and looking for the undo button or the delete button to try and change God's plan for us, we will never feel at home where God has put us. I've lived in my current flat for six years and I still have boxes I've never unpacked. You could argue, but then do I really need what's in them? But I'm a hoarder, so yes I do. (laughs) But the knowledge of those boxes still has me trapped. I've never really felt at home in my own flat. Until we unpack and make our own mark on somewhere, it never feels like home. And if we don't want to do that, it's probably because we don't want to be there for long. Sometimes we can be in God's waiting for a few days, other times it's years, but unfortunately we don't know until we come out the other side. It's much nicer uh, in life once we've unpacked and made ourselves at home, whether it's when we've moved house, gone on holiday, or even come home from holiday. When we're in God's waiting room, we need to remember the plan for the future we have, not the one we're waiting for. God will honour you. Uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 5 says, He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations, and takes captive all the peoples. The enemy that Habakkuk speaks of is so impatient, he steals from all around to get what is planned for tomorrow, rather than waiting. Matthew 6, verse 34, when the message says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. How many of us have let the worries of what's to come steal the joy of many great moments? I know I have. I've recently completed the purchase of my first house. After picking up the keys, I was like a kid on Christmas morning driving to to open the door for the first time as a homeowner. But that night, I couldn't sleep. Anxiety of the work that was needed and the future of the property, the property market, and many other things that may never happen stripped me of the joy of God's provision that day and led to me getting to sleep at 3.30 in the morning. And just so you know, this is while I was writing this talk. So I've I've not got this sorted, all right? I'd let myself get consumed by the worries of tomorrow. I'd become like the enemy in Habakkuk, trying to metaphorically steal things that hadn't yet happened. And it only led, led to a sleepless night. didn't solve anything. Thankfully, God is bigger than our struggles. He really is. When we lose sight of this and try to escape the waiting room, God has us in for a good reason. Things start to go wrong. When this happens, we need to remember that sometimes we need to, we need to be in the waiting room. Our number is about to be called the light is about to turn green, but we can't yet see it. Every door we try out of the waiting room is locked, or it brings us right back into the same room. In these moments we just give up, right? Wrong. In these moments we have to learn to be patient. I once heard someone define patience in a way that changed my life. I'm not sure who said this, but in the true Simon Harris fashion, I said it. Patience is waiting well. It sounds quite simple, but that little phrase really did change my life. Patience doesn't mean sitting on our backsides and doing nothing. It doesn't mean whining to anyone who will listen that nothing is happening for me and it's so unfair. And it definitely isn't comparing our lack with their plenty. What it means is pulling out the games from the corner of the waiting room, dusting them off, inviting people to join with us in our moment of waiting, to sit around a table with friends, to choose to continually fix our eyes on him. After all, he's sovereign, right? Right? The fourth point I kind of pulled out of Habakkuk uh, is to not make an idol of the promise. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. This revelation uh, is way bigger than Habakkuk can understand. But when we are waiting for God's promises, We can easily focus on the promise and not the one who promised it. Exodus 20 verse 4 reminds us that we shouldn't make idols. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And sure, this verse mainly talks about physical idols uh, that you bow down to. This is what the Israelites were doing even after God has saved them from Egypt and from slavery. But hopefully we can all agree that an idol can be anything. This one was a painful one for me. I have only recently learnt it. Although I know things and people can be idols. I hadn't, it hadn't quite clicked me that so can and often are our desires. I mentioned earlier that I thought by now I'd be married for the family. But that so far isn't yet to be. Sure, I get this. God doesn't promise marriage. and Paul even suggested I'd be more holy to stay single. But I'm not getting into that today. For me, marriage has always seemed to be a part of God's plan. I'm not single, uh, but marriage seems quite a way off for me. And that's what I've been aiming for. I've always dated with the end game of marriage, which isn't a bad thing. I've always had the conversation about marriage early on in a relationship and pushed forward that as the end game. And none of that is bad. In fact, I was always encouraged that attitude as opposed to just dating for fun. But what I hadn't realised until just two weekends ago I have made my aim, my plan of marriage, an idol for me. Because marriage is a positive thing and a good thing, so I'm told. It never occurred to me that I would be able to make an idol of it. But every single one of God's promises to us can be turned into an idol if we look more to the gift than to the giver. Since being made more aware of this idol in my life, I've been able to release it to God. I've given Him back my desire to be married. Not because it's a bad thing, or because I don't still want that, but because right now, in this season of life, it was an idol getting in the way of me and God. I get so frustrated that it wasn't happening, that relationships failed, or the time and location meant it wouldn't be for a while, and getting frustrated at God for his perfect timing is only going to end one way, with even more frustration. God promises us so much more than we can imagine. But how God fulfills his promises shouldn't affect the strength of the promise. Or more importantly, the sovereignty of God. But how often do we get mad at God for not fulfilling his promises in the way we want, or the way we had planned? I once heard it said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) I think God laughs at me quite often. Not in a nasty way, but he giggles them at things I say and things I want to do. Especially when I know fully well that it's not helpful or a part of a good plan for me. Because that good plan means waiting a little bit mo- a little bit longer for, for, than what I want to. Habakkuk finishes his short book with something that has been a cry of my heart for a while. And from the message, it's the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Though the cherry trees don't blossom, And the strawberry fields don't ripen. Though the apples are worn, are worm eaten and the wheat fields stunted. Though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty. I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my saviour God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm the king of the mountain. Even in this time of lack in his life, when he's waiting for the metaphorical and literal harvests, Habakkuk has decided to choose joy. He spent time in conversation with God, pleading, disagreeing, and arguing against God's decision and plans. Believe me, i spent a lot of time doing that. Each time God came back with basically, you don't get it, you can't see what's coming, just wait and trust me. Eventually he chose to do so, he chose to find joy in his today and trust in his sovereign king wholeheartedly. If anything like me, uh, you may be in more than one waiting room right now and you may be kicking and screaming with God, pleading him to explain to you or to show you what's happening and when it's going to happen. But I simply urge you to remember that God is sovereign and to trust in his sovereignty. Unpack your bags and boxes and paint the walls and settle down while we wait plan for the future you have now and try not to be anxious about tomorrow don't make an idol of the promise keep an eye on yourself and trust those around you to keep you accountable sometimes, as I've learned over the past year the waiting and the journey is more important than what we're waiting for and, and the, where we're heading God does a lot of work in us in the waiting if we let him But unless we decide to choose joy in the waiting while we do all these things, then we will likely learn nothing from it. Let's be so engrossed in the joy of the waiting that when our number is called and the door is open to whatever is coming next that we don't notice. And that God has to come down, put our hand gently in his and lead us away from the waiting room we have become so overjoyed by. As I come to close now, I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we will be able to release our waiting uh, into the hands of our Father. That this burden of waiting would be no more and we would be released to choose joy daily. So Lord, I thank you that we can come together today. Thank you, Lord, that we can learn from um, a lesser read book of yours in the Bible, Lord, of your word, that we can learn about waiting. Lord, in a moment of silence now, we lift up to you the things Uh, the people, the places, the opportunities we're waiting for, and we release them to you now, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Thank you, Lord, that you hear the cries of our heart. Thank you, Lord, that you are a loving and gracious and merciful God, and even though we may get frustrated and angry with you for your perfect timing, you are never that angry parent. You are a loving Father that just wants the best for us. Lord, open our eyes to see this, to recognize that even in this waiting season, Lord, that you are there. And that you are looking after us and loving us, Father. I pray this, Lord, in your holy name. Amen.